Ajax, the teenager. Bukayo Saka, one of the youngest players ever to play in the European Championship. He's got to score here to keep England alive. And he doesn't! And Italy are champions of Europe! They do it in a shootout. They did it the hard way. Behind after two minutes. Ahead after penalties. And England are foiled again. And at Wembley. Hey now, welcome to season 11, episode 13 of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett coming to you live from Buffalo, New York. It is July 15th, 2021, exactly two years uh, since my second of three surgeries in 289 days. So just a quick thanks to the Lord above and for everyone who Help me get through those 289 years. All right, busy show for today. It's a great one. Two guests, Jimmy Traina from Sports Illustrated is on the podcast. Jimmy Traina has been coming on the show since 2011. He was in season one, on season one, I should say. He was one of the first 20 guests, and he's been on several times since. And I always have fun talking sports media. Howard Stern, pop culture, Sopranos, whatever, a wide range of topics with Jimmy. And today's no different. It's a great interview with him. I was a little bit of trouble getting him going, I felt like. I don't know what you guys will think, but man, it's a long summer for Jimmy because he's just not into anything that's happening uh, this summer, that's for sure. Uh, Also on the show today, Pete Croato, uh, he wrote a book about the NBA called uh, Hang Time and Prime Time. And uh, it was supposed to be the last book in the book club for a while. And uh, then I got an iBooks, and I'll tell you all about what I did in the book club update. But there's four books currently in the book club. Uh, But we're going to talk to Pete. Uh, I'll be honest. About six months ago, I think, Jeff Perlman came to me and said, hey, are you interested in this book? And I said no. And I wasn't interested. It just didn't look great, all that interesting to me. And um, then what happened is Pete reached out to me. And I don't turn down authors often, if ever, who reach out to me. Uh, I appreciate them too much for doing so, for considering me. And I show them the respect. I read the book, and I did. It was better than I expected. The interview I did with Pete was good, I think. Actually, I think the interview was really good. I really liked Pete. I liked him a lot. There's some stuff that's in the book that we didn't cover that much because I just didn't think Pete and I talking about it was going to be all that beneficial. Uh, I did challenge him a little bit on some things where we disagreed, and he was great. Uh, It's a great book and a great interview, and I'm glad that I stuck to my guns and said to myself, if an author ever comes to you and says, hey, will you read my work, there's a certain respect that needs to be shown there. Uh, It's a lot different. Jeff Perlman recommends books all the time to me. And many I say yes, many I say no. Uh, But when the author comes to me, it's just about 100% yes. 
almost almost unanimous. So uh, Pete will be on later in the show after the book club update. And then one last thing is a special tribute to a friend of mine named Calvin Crowell who passed away. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about Calvin and what he meant to me, um, what he meant to a lot of people. And I was on the Place to Be Nation podcast, and we did a tribute to to Cal on there. And I hope I can do a better job here than I did there because I kind of blacked out a little bit. But um, we'll save that for the end. We'll talk about Calvin and one last thing. All right. With all that said, I wanted to talk about a few things in sports this week. And the first thing is, is we're getting closer and closer to football season. And the reports about the status of Jameis Winston have become more positive each time. There's a video going around him just slinging the ball all over. I've been impressed with his, with his, uh, you know, his, the way he's answered questions, the things he said about Breeze. And people ask me all the time, what are the Saints going to do about quarterback? Like, I get this question almost once a day uh, from someone who wants to know what I think the Saints should do. And I would love to see Taysom Hill be the quarterback in a way. You know, that'd be great. But really, I don't want him to be the quarterback. I want Jameis to win this job. And I want him to win this job because he's so damn talented. And I want to think that Sean Payton and Drew Brees and everyone who's worked with him for a year since he's been in the building have, have been able to pull out the number one overall pick talent of him. Because I, I think we can unlock that. We could see a Favre to Rodgers type transition from Brees to Winston. And also... I don't want to lose everything else that Taysom Hill does on the field, right? This isn't as deep of a Saints team as it was last year because of the COVID and then the flat cap and some of the decisions they had to make. Okay, so I'd love for it to be, I don't know that I want to lose all the things Taysom Hill does. He's been a gunner for this team. He's covered punts for this team. He's played tight end. He's played running back, option quarterback. I need that stuff from him. And he's so good at it. So I kind of want him there, and I want Jameis to be good because I think Taysom can be good, but I think Jameis can be great, right? I think Jameis has the talent to be a Hall of Fame player. He's thrown for 5,000 yards in this league. So that's that. Football season's coming. We'll be more on it soon. Another thing that's coming, and it's a disappointment it's coming, and that's hockey season. Congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They won what was one of the worst Stanley Cup finals of my lifetime. There wasn't one compelling second in the entire uh, series. They won it in five games. Uh, the number one thing about the entire series was Kenny Albert, who was who was brilliant in it. And, um, man, I'm just so proud of him for uh, the work he did uh, to get this out and uh, to get to that position. And he was awesome. The whole rest of it was a dog. Um, so, eh, on that. But uh, I'm really excited. Kenny's going to be on soon. And we'll talk to him about that. But here's the thing about the hockey that I'm not looking forward to. And that's just the next five weeks of the Sabres and what this is going to be. It seems like they're just convinced they have to trade Jack Eichel, which is asinine, uh, which means they're going to lose a Jack Eichel trade. Uh, which means that the city and the fans gave up two years 
of our souls for a guy who's going to not play one playoff game in Buffalo. Like, if they trade Jack Eichel, we drafted him second overall and didn't get to see him in one playoff game here. And we're going to trade him for a trade we're going to lose. And it's not going to be because of money, because he signed. It's not going to be because of his contract, because it's still years and years to go. It's going to be because he was upset in his exit interview because he wants to win and because he was injured. And they have this thing like he doesn't want to be here. Baloney. He wants to win. He wants to be wherever he could win. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean he's not part of the solution. So they're going to make an asinine trade. My only prayer is that because he's injured, teams are not going to offer whatever the minimum is. They're willing to move him and they'll wait. And that because they wait, cooler heads will prevail and he'll come back and he'll be a part of a winning solution. And and we'll never talk about this again. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to get traded for a lousy package. Uh, I think they'll draft Owen Power, which is fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, they'll draft someone else in the first round from the pick that they got. Uh, we'll be one of the worst teams in the league again next year. And people will talk about Shane Wright all year, and it's so boring. And the lottery, and it's so boring. And Montreal proved again, you just got to get in this darn tournament. You never know what can happen. Sabres haven't been in it in over a decade. And I'm just getting close to tapping out on them. Speaking of tapping out, uh, the Atlanta Braves blew a 3-1 to lead in the NLCS last year in the bubble or whatever the baseball playoffs were. Uh, Acuna was one of the great players on the team last year, was this year as an MVP candidate last year. Freddie Freeman won it. He's been an MVP candidate this year. And right before the All-Star break, he, he tore his ACL attempting to catch a ball in the outfield, and he's out for the season. Now, the Braves season has been an absolute disaster. Uh, their ace, Soroka, had torn his Achilles tendon last year. We didn't have him last year. We got one game from the World Series, uh, largely because of the pitching of Ian Anderson and um, Freed. And we thought, wow, we throw Soroka in there. It'll be amazing. This guy couldn't heal from this surgery. Uh, he pitched in spring training. Then he went away. Then they checked the ankle. It was okay. Then he walked into the building and blew the Achilles again. Uh, now Acuna has blown his ACL. I pray to God uh, that 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 doesn't mean that um, that that's the end of uh, and he doesn't have the same doctor <laughs> that that Soroka had, and he's back at the beginning of next year. But this is why you can't blow leads three to one leads in the NLCS. It's why we ripped on the Nats for the way they shut down. Strasburg going to the play. You just never know when you're going to get another chance. You never know when you're going to be one win away from the World Series again. It doesn't matter how young your team is. It doesn't matter how good the players you have, how much cap space you have, how long people are signed. You never know when you're going to get that close again. In 2006, the Saints lost the uh, NFC Championship game. It took them three seasons to get back to that point when they won the Super Bowl. In 2009-2010. You know, a lot of people around here, the Bills, oh, the Bills, you know, they're going to, they were one game away. They didn't win it, but they're this, they're that. We'll see. We'll see. And the Braves are another team. One went away. They blew it. Couldn't get it done. You don't get the same team back. You know, Marcelo Zuna, he is beating his wife or whatever. You take him away. They don't sign Duvall, you know. Um, the bullpen's a disaster. Uh, they let Melanson go. He's an all-star. 
to keep Will Smith, who's a disaster. You know, they're barely five. They're not even 500 team or just at 500. No one has run away with the division, so they're still in it, but now no Acuna. The point is they're not going to get as close to the World Series as they did last year. And who knows what happens next year. So the Braves are a disaster. But let's end on some happiness. Uh, I was thinking of posting this on Friday or Saturday, but I said, oh, let me wait. Let me wait and see what can happen uh, because... I don't know if I want to post it before the game. The Euro, we had John Champion on at the start, and the main thing we talked about with him is, can Italy win this? And John said that he thought that they had the best odds in the tournament, that they were the best value bet. If you're going to put a future on the winner, he would put it on Italy. I think they were like around 12 to 1, 10 to 1, something like that to win it. And I've talked about before on the show how much I love the Italian soccer team. It gives me a chance to celebrate being Italian. I watched the 94 championship with my great-grandmother. Tears rolled down her face after Baggio missed the kick. She called him a son of a bitch. She said she was sad for Italy when they won in 2006. I took flowers to her grave and told her how happy Italy was, that they avenged the loss. You know, my my daughter's named Paula after my great-grandmother, Paula, who showed incredible bravery as a 12-year-old to take her four-year-old sister on a boat and travel alone from Italy to the United States to be reunited with their mother, who was the grandmother crying that day. And I've always used Italian soccer as an outlet to be proud of my heritage, to be proud of my culture, to be proud of being Italian. I'm not a huge soccer guy. I don't watch club soccer. Uh, But I love these tournaments. I love the passion and the energy and the format and the stakes. And I just love to take a moment to say, I'm Italian and this is my team and I'm rooting for Italy today. And I've been lucky enough since I've been doing this. They played in a final in the 94 World Cup. They played in a final in the uh, 2004. Or um, excuse me, the the Golden Goal in France, whatever year that was. they lost in 2002, I believe, uh, the, the Euro when they lost in the Golden Gold to France. They played in 2006 in the championship uh, in, the, in the World Cup and won. They played in 2012 in the championship of the Euro, lost to Spain, and here they are again. So, man, I was pumped. Um, my Uncle Paul, my Grandma Paula's daughter, uh, son, excuse me, came to watch. Paula was there, um, and it was an amazing day. It was an amazing, an amazing day. Uh, Italy won in penalties. Everyone knows that. And I have not been able to stop since it happened watching reaction videos, you know, just enjoying it, uh, taking it all in. It was a great celebration after they won. Uh, I love the team. I love the players on the team. Donnarumma, what a stud. I mean, to go from Buffon to Donnarumma, oh, mingya. Amazing. Uh, But it was an amazing, amazing weekend. And I'm so grateful uh, for the Italian national team and uh i could feel the spirit of grandma paula and grandma Zinia with me on sunday and with my uncle and my daughter and i'm just so proud to be italian american and uh, so proud to be their grandson and so proud of this team um so that's that all right let's take a break we'll be right back with jimmy trainer then we're going to do the book club then i'll be back with pete and then uh we will do one last thing and pay tribute to calvin so it's a busy show. Let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Jimmy Trainer.
Our first guest today has been coming on the Sportscasters since 2011. We've interviewed him as he's been an employee at Sports Illustrated, then Fox, now Sports Illustrated again. He's a big fan of wrestling, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Mike and the Mad Dog, and so many things. I love Howard Stern, and I always love having him on the phone to talk about all these different things. A warm Sportscasters welcome to Jimmy Traina. Jimmy Traina, what's going on, buddy? How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's... uh. Looking forward to Sunday for the uh, it's the uh, anniversary, 15 year anniversary of Italy's World Cup victory in 2006, and now we we wait for Sunday for the chance to add another major tournament, the second ever. It would be the second ever Euro for Italy, 1968, the first. So I'm looking forward to that on Sunday. Yeah, I hope you didn't get me on to talk about soccer because I don't follow <laughs> no. it or know anything about no, it. No, no, so I, I have nothing to add. I uh, I only watch major tournaments, international tournaments. I don't know anything about club soccer. You know, I don't know anything about anything except for I watch the World Cup and the Euro every uh, whenever they're on. So that's it. But I'm I'm excited to see it on on Sunday. What are you up to? What's on your calendar? What are you looking forward to? Um, you know, this is it's funny that you would ask that because this is the time of year I think when there's really nothing to look forward to right. except basically getting to September when you have the NFL and college football. Yeah, so I, th- I think nine I Sundays. Always are, yeah, this is, this is always a really tough time uh, in terms of work and coming up with content because there's just nothing going on. The NBA finals will be over very quickly. And then we really just have baseball, which you know, I do like baseball. And it, I love that it's sort of always there for you in the background during the summer. But um, once we get once July first hits, all I care about is getting to September first and the two football seasons. Do, do you are you into the NBA finals? Does that get you juiced? I mean, I, I'm watching them. I'm not really into them. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people. I'd rather see LeBron. I know people are. Um, you know, they try to play that. You know, it's good that LeBron's not there. Card. I'd rather see LeBron and Steph Curry and. Um, you know, I think the injuries have been a, a little bit of a problem. I think, um, you know, the season still basically, you know, it's a season where it's still being affected by COVID. I mean, the NBA finals never take place this late in the year. So, um, I'm watching it. I can't say I'm enthralled by it. Do you get into the all-star game will that bring you are you a home run derby guy no i haven't, no, I haven't watched the, an all-star game in probably 20 years either one it's do you watch real, the derby no okay even like the josh hamilton event. thing doesn't get you into in, into it that night no I'm, I'm not into fake okay events i just i'm into like the actual seasons and the that's it i'm not into anything that's fake and doesn't count for anything. All right. And you already said you're not into the soccer. Yeah. Are you into Wimbledon or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I'll watch that. I'm not, you know, I always enjoy that. Okay. I'm just trying um, to figure out what you're, you know, what you're into right now, what you're watching. Interesting. To yeah. Me. I mean, it's just yeah. the NBA finals is right. Right now is really what's going on. I haven't watched a buzzer to buzzer NBA game since game seven. When the, the Cavs won their first title so that's 16 15 something like that i've watched games don't get me wrong you know i'll watch if i see an nba final game this week is 116 to 116 with three minutes left i'll definitely turn it on 
You know, yeah. I just can't do zero, no, I, zero I, I, to zero basketball. It just doesn't get me. Yeah, I I I, I always enjoy the uh, the NBA playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting from a sports media guy. The numbers are not great, right? I mean, fifty percent no, down not. from nineteen. Why? Yep. Would you have a theory on why? Um, I mean, listen. Whenever ratings are down like that, it's it's not because of one reason. Sure. There's multiple reasons. A handful. Here. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the biggest reason by far and away is is people don't watch TV anymore, and cord cutting is happening at an absolutely frightening right. rate. Even versus 2019, um, you think it's had a huge effect on the number? Oh, if you if you look at the numbers, it goes down. I mean, the, there are numbers out there about each, uh, you know, going right. each year about how many. Uh, well, maybe a lot of cutters during the pandemic to save cash, right? Maybe that was an accelerator. People are like, yeah, I don't- and, I, and listen, I think I think the pandemic is still a factor in this, and I think you've got two teams that America doesn't care about. You're not bringing in. Here's the thing: LeBron James will bring in the fringe fan who doesn't really care about the NFL. No one. The Bucks and right. Suns are not doing that. Right. Um, and there's really only one star in the in the league. Well, maybe Chris Paul's a star, too, I guess. In a league that kind well, of revolves around stars. Yeah, I was going to say uh, yeah. the freak, the Greek freak, and then is Chris Paul the next biggest star in it? Well, Devin Booker. Is he a star? Yeah, he's a star. Okay. I wouldn't. I would think he's a level below who I'm thinking of, but I'll trust your. I'll trust your knowledge over mine. But he, I mean, listen, he's a star, but he's not bringing any fringe viewers to the TV. Right. So, you know, it's a problem. More of a star in terms of his play than a star in terms of his draw. Yeah, I mean, Giannis would would be the biggest star. The biggest draw, yeah. Who was in, in, the, in, in the finals, for sure. Yeah. So. Trey Young, I mean, it's too bad that he got hurt because he was a real, you know, really the story of the playoffs to me. I'm an OU guy, so I'm biased, but. I mean, just right. unbelievable. No, he was, he was, he was great. You know, right from those first few games in the Garden, where he kind of just exploded onto the scene. But it's too bad to to see that. So, what? What? Okay, so the Olympics is the next huge thing in sports media, I would think. Someone who's on the beat you're on, the beat that I love as much as I do. What are the sports media? Another... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're no, gonna you say go. another thing you don't care about. Is that what you're gonna say? Another thing I don't pay attention to or watch. <laughs> okay. So so the, I guess then the question of what sports media stories are you looking forward to discovering in this Olympics maybe doesn't apply to you. Yeah, it doesn't apply to me at all. No, you won't be writing train of thoughts yeah. very much on the minutia no, of the Olympics, I, no? I, I don't watch one second of the Olympics, so it's, you know, wow. I sort of tune it, tune it out. And so, like... In London, in London, when Phelps is getting in for the eighth gold, you're, that doesn't bring you even that. No, a bolt race. Nope. No, none of that, huh? No, interesting. No, nothing. <laughs> All right, nothing. then. What about this? Like I said, I like I, I, you know, give me the NFL, give me college football, give me Major League Baseball, give me the NBA, give me, you know, that that's that's. But what about for what about for your beat? You don't think that the Olympics and the media? I mean, the Olympics to me is a made for media event almost just uh, to me i am more interested in uh, you know the uh watching the features and watching how nbc is going to cover it what's going to be live what's going to be streaming 
you know, who's going to call yeah. things, uh, shared announcers. That kind of stuff gets me more juice than the Olympics games itself, but not for you, huh? No, I can't say it does anything for me. Okay. All right. What about uh, the baseball? Let's go to baseball. So the All-Star game's coming. Hopefully, post-All-Star game, these announcers are going to get back on site. Do you have an opinion about the announcers? I know they're getting frustrated. We saw the clip uh, with Ma and Pa a couple days ago where he called the home run, and uh, and it was a highlight, and they really were very quite open about their disgust with the situation. What are your thoughts on the announcers getting back to the sites uh, for the second yeah, half I mean, of the baseball season? I, you know, I know there's a lot of hullabaloo about this, but I, I don't like. I think it's a pretty, it's a very simple and straightforward thing. Like the announcer should be back on road trips and in home stadiums. I don't, I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, I, you know, if if the stations, and I don't know this for a fact, I'd have to like, you know, really dip into it. But if the stations are not sending them because of money and not because of COVID, then, then that's a major problem. And that's got to be it. And Especially for the Yankees, the team that's over 85%, right? The Mets, they could buy, they yeah. can say, oh, we're not 85%. They can't travel with us. There's a little room to wiggle, like with a team like the Mets. The Yankees, what would the, it's got to be money, no? I, I mean, listen, I find it hard to believe the Yankees and the Yes Network are struggling for, for money, even in this post pandemic world. I, I, I find it, I would, I would be well, shocked. I don't think they're they don't struggling. The funds. Yeah, I think they have right. it. I think uh, they're just saving it. I think they could easily send John Sterling and Susan Waldman on road trips. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they feel some sort of responsibility about, you know, the Yankees may be 85%, but if they're sending them on a road trip, you know, anything's possible. Um, I know they just, I think they just got back to doing the games together at the stadium. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, they should be there. Now, listen, now, you know, if you're paying attention to the news, you know, this, these variants seem to be a big problem, especially for unvaccinated people. But John and Susan are both up there in age. So maybe, you know, that, you know, it's not 100 percent safe. And, and that's maybe what the Yes Network is thinking. I don't know. All right. One more summer thing. And then I, I got a couple of football hits for you, because it seems like that's what you're juiced up for anyway. Uh, Howard Stern, we always talk about him. It's a polarizing topic for us. We're on different. Different opinions. I'm going to surprise you with this one, though. I think it's no big deal he's taking these this time off here. I think it's actually better for the show if he's only doing 112 episodes anyway. Take a big chunk off, and that will probably make it feel less disjointed going forward. He's, regardless of when he takes the time, he's still only doing the 112 shows. You know what I mean? So I think I would prefer. Now, I'm a Laps fan. I don't listen live anymore. I listen to Howard Stern every day, and I haven't listened to, you know, a live show since two thousand, since a birthday show at the, at the earliest. Um, so it doesn't affect me as much. But I, you know, I've been a fan of Howard since nineteen ninety. I'm I'm very much in the culture of Howard. You know, I follow social media accounts and you know websites and listen to people talk about Howard. I love Howard. I love the world of Howard. I just don't like the the current show which has essentially been a podcast since the pandemic what are your thoughts on him taking the two months off and how have you um enjoyed the pandemic howard well i think if you're if you're a diehard listener subscriber fan whatever 
word you want to use, you pretty much know that how it barely works in the summer anyway. Yeah, what is it like? So, what do you normally do? Seven shows, nine shows, right, maybe I three mean, weeks of three, maybe. Right, like it's a nice headline, you know, to say he's taking two months off. And you know, my my thought on that is if you can get your company to give you two months off in the summer, you take it. So I mean, I don't, I think it's absurd that there'd be any other take besides that. But in terms of like, you know, the the number of shows, like you said, I mean, maybe we're losing, I don't know, three, six, maybe nine shows over the two months, something like that. Um, so it, it it's really not as big a deal as you would think when you see a headline that says, you know, how it's starting taking two months off. Right. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. I'm with you on this one all the way. It's a, it's a nothing story really, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, Howard, like he just negotiated this contract, you know, the only negative I would, I would put on it is it just highlights the disappointment of his decision to whitewash his history. Because it should be two months of incredible fun on the stations, you know, listening to a, an unbelievable archive of bits, you know, and, you know, that just that just doesn't exist. It's going to be all stuff from 2015 on. And if it is something um, behind that, there's probably a good chance that Artie's mostly edited out or. You know, it's just that that's the only that's the only thing I think it would highlight for me as a disappointment as someone who loves the catalog, listens to the catalog every day. It would be extremely interesting for me to find out how he would fill the time. Uh, but now it's not because it's just the whitewashed version of the history, uh, which isn't interesting. So that would be the only negative I'd have on it. But in terms of the time itself, like, come on, he was never going to work more than one or two weeks that month anyway. And he only does three shows a week. So. It's a, it's a nothing. Right. It's a nothing there. Do you think he comes back to the studio after the uh, after the time away? I do. I don't know how often. Oh, I I shouldn't say. I I don't know if he'll be back. You know, September or whatever it is, fifth or whatever. Right. I think he will eventually be back in the studio because um, I think he I think he understands better than anyone the dynamic of doing an interview in person. I think he um, is not one who appreciates all of the technical guests that happen, you know, with zoom and all this stuff. And, you know, he's done interviews with guests and the call drops or the video drops out. So I think he will come back to the studio. Maybe he only comes back on days. He has an interview. Maybe, you know, he only comes back a little bit, but I think he, he will be back in the studio at some point. Yeah, I agree. I sure, I'm sure he has enjoyed the freedom of essentially making a podcast to air three days a week. Um, I'm sure he's enjoyed. I'm sure it's opened up some interviews for him to be able to say, oh, we can do it whenever you want on Thursday or whatever. Agreeing upon, upon a time, not being locked into the time um, of the uh, specific time the show airs. you know. And I know that a lot of the other segments... Uh, have been pre-recorded, and that's a big reason they haven't done the news is because the news locks them into the the time itself. And but they've still gotten caught a bunch of times, clearly playing something they recorded at another time, which I'm fine with. And I, I wonder if he has enjoyed that freedom. You know, you listen on a more regular basis to the current stuff. You would know yeah, better I had no than idea I. Yeah, anything was. No, I had you. You know it better than me. I had no idea anything was pre-recorded. 
So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, definitely many of the interviews weren't during the time. Um, and there's there's a thread out there that you can find where people just log, you know, when they say something. Is it on, is it on Reddit? Uh, no, I think it's on Radio Gunk. Uh, well, yeah, not exactly the most. Well, no, no, but they're but they're literally logging a moment from the show. Right. You know what I mean? They're saying at 8.05 on Tuesday the 9th, Howard referenced something that happened, you know, on the 6th and said today, you know, or whatever. So, um, but they're this is news to me. I I didn't know that. And that's a that's a I think a props to them. They have done it pretty seamlessly, um, but definitely, 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 many of the interviews have been um, outside of the window. And and but before that, it was just Madonna. I think that he allowed that too. I hope that it'd be interesting to see in the in the aftermath of this if he's a little bit more flexible. I thought when he went to Sirius in two thousand six. That one of the big allures was that he could be a little bit more flexible at this time, but really only a few of the roasts did they ever kind of play with that. You know what I mean? Coming in later or whatever. I think just four. Uh, well, I think if there's one, if there's if you listen, if you if you listen to Howard, I think if there's one character trait you can say he has, it's being completely inflexible. So right, I wouldn't hold my breath <laughs> on that one. That's a good point. I was reading before we came on today that Apple. Uh, has thrown their hat into the ring for the Sunday ticket, which is the last piece of the renegotiated NFL media contracts. And I'm really excited to to find out where that lands because it's very, very relevant for my life. I have been a direct TV subscriber for all these years simply because I'm a fan of the Saints. I need the out-of-market package. It's the most important thing I pay for every month. So I can watch those games. It's the biggest deal to me in terms of recreation. And the second that they're not exclusive, I will be calling them and telling them to come get their crap. Uh, It will be a relieving experience. I can't believe they're not fighting harder to keep that. But they're not. Apple's in the mix. ESPN Plus is in the mix. I've heard Amazon. What are your thoughts on this package? Do you have any? I am personally pumped. You're... You're you're in the same boat as you know. From my you know, just going from my anecdotal experiences, this is what NFL fans care about more than anything. They don't care about the CBS, Fox, nope. NBC. They want to know what's going on with Sunday Ticket. Yep. A lot of people who have Directv solely because of Sunday Ticket want to get rid of Sunday Ticket. Yep. I mean, excuse me, get rid of Directv. Yep. <laughs> this is the only. This is what the fans care about, and I still think Directv could you know retain the rights to one sort of form of Sunday ticket, but I think you're, it's not, I think I know there'll be a streaming element to it. So it could be a situation where you can get Sunday ticket on direct TV, and then you can also get it on Amazon or Apple or um, Peacock or ESPN plus, which has all been mentioned. So I don't necessarily know if direct, if direct TV is going to be completely gone, but I do, but they will, there will be a streaming component without a doubt. Right. Right now, there is a streaming component, but you have to prove to them that you can't operate the satellite. But, it's also, but that know? streaming component is through DirecTV. Right. Exactly. I, yeah. I'm just pointing out what they have now for anyone listening that. Yeah. yeah. Th- but there's going to be a more true 
anyone can pay four payments of thirty four ninety five or whatever and have this thing on this service. And uh, I wish that's all it was. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be much more than that. I was throwing out a number. But yeah. Yeah. I um, look at it. it's a it's a it's a yearly ritual for me to call them on August first. And, you know, say, oh, man, you know, my neighbor just I got a new neighbor and they just told me that they got track TV and, and now they got the Sunday ticket and they get it for free. I've been a customer for right. 10 years. How dare you? You know, and uh, to negotiate whatever I can get, you know, it's every year I play the same song and dance with them. Some years better than others. Some years I've walked away with an unbelievable deal. You know, some years I haven't. Yeah, that's but, the uh, way to go. Yeah, it's the way to do it. What else, uh, media-wise, are you looking forward to to the fall in terms of stories, college or pro? There's, well, yeah, go ahead. There's there's going to be some new broadcasters for the you know Drew Brees is yeah. going to be part of NBC's and coverage. So what's I'm, his role, right? Yeah, uh, he's going to be in the in the studio show. Studio, yeah. On Sunday, and he's also going and to be Notre calling Dame. Notre, Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame, yeah, yeah. So I'm very very curious to see how that goes. You got the second year here with the Monday Night Football crew, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Lewis Riddick. So I'm yep. curious to see how they do in year two. I think year one was sort of like a ho hum type of year for them. Um, and Greg Olson's going to be part of the Fox team with Kevin Burkhart. So I, I, I would like to see how the new new broadcasters um, do when it's uh when the football season starts so that's uh you know an espn you know they're going through a lot here with with cutting people and cutting salaries i'm i'm wondering if there are going to be any big changes coming down for them um you know with more people maybe leaving so there's always there's always good media stuff going on um you know well that's pretty much speaking of espn the whole Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols thing is going on around the NBA Finals right now. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who the heel is. You know what I mean? I feel like it's a triple threat match, and if they're all heels. You know, I just think it's embarrassing for... Well, I'm not sure I'd consider Maria Taylor a heel in this. Well, she's the leaker. Um, she's the leaker, right? I mean, how often is a story um, like that... She's... She's, uh, she's the leaker of the of the Rachel Nichols right, tape. Right, right. The, the New York right. Times, the, the anonymous source in the New York Times story that blew this up is, you know, Maria, know Maria I, Taylor I mean, or Maria Taylor by proxy. That's my opinion. That's an opinion. Right. I, I, one that I would right. bet a lot of money on. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that was done in retaliation to the ESPN leaking her salary demands a right. week before to the yep. post. So it's, yep, which is yeah. why I'm saying they're all heels to me. You know, they all, to me, come off his heels. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I would not paint Maria Taylor as a heel in this. Um, and I, re- I really, you know, I don't know. I think, listen, nobody's clean. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's, you know, it's an ugly, ugly story all the way around. Is there a, a way for this to be a happy ending or is it just going to be many divorces? Right. I mean, first of all, let's back up for one second. Let's talk about her salary demands. Why in the world is she worth 8 million or $9 million 
I don't understand. Well, everyone well, there is either t- taking huge cuts or or leaving, and she wants to go from what one million to nine. I don't know. Well, well, one. Who knows if that's true? Okay, allegedly. Well, I, I wouldn't even say. I mean, I don't know. I mean, based on the if, reporting if of the post, on, if you're going, if you're going on the premise that. ESPN leaked her salary demands to the post, then I don't know how you can say that they're accurate because they could easily be trying to negotiate through that column and, and smear her. Okay. Fair. So I don't, I don't know what the demands are, but to me, it has nothing to do with how does she think she's, she's worth whatever she can get ESPN to give her. Fair enough. Negotiate. Now, yep. Yeah. I mean, it has nothing to do with, you know, I mean, Mike Greenberg makes, I don't know what it is. Um, Whatever he makes, would he get it tomorrow, though? I mean, those older... No, 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 what I'm saying is Mike Greenberg's annual salary is $7 million. Do I think Mike Greenberg is worth $7 million? No, but he got it, and good for him, and God bless him. So, you know, it should be the same way for Maria Taylor's, for for me. Okay, Uh, but I just think that those contracts are a thing of the past at ESPN. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's what that's what we're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the latest report is that ESPN offered her three million, which I think would be a very competitive salary salary for Maria Thaler, in my opinion. Yeah, but who? I mean, who knows if someone? But there could be someone out there who offers her four million. So you know, it's it's all about what she can get. Sure, fair enough, and she has the the right to negotiate that. So. Let's see what she gets. There's a chance she walks in the middle of the finals, um, which is I don't unfortunate. Think that, that's where ESPN. That's where ESPN is getting very, very, very lucky and avoiding an enormous nightmare. Right. If it's because the sweep. finals going to be over before then, and because she's good to luck. Game no, six. Not, yeah. Yeah. Game six. I think. Yeah. And they're not going to get there, so they avoid that disaster. Where does Rachel Nichols stand now in all this? Can she go on there? I mean, listen, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know what ESPN's thinking is there because they pulled her from the finals. My guess is, I mean, this is just a guess. I think she'll be back next year doing her regular thing and, and she'll be fine. I they mean, they're not going to fire her. Right. Which, you know, they were trying to, that's what they were trying to do from last year to this year. And they, you know, failed right. miserably, but um, I, I, I would, my guess is she'll be back next year. And, you know, you got to, at some point you got to move forward. Bad job by them, I guess. You know what I mean? Especially if they've had this tape for a year, you know, and um, right. They knew about it. Yep. And they didn't think it would get out. And, you know, and you, you just, you don't know what to believe when you hear all of these things, because, Everyone's leaking, and you don't, you know, when people leak, it's not always accurate. So, you know, um, who knows? You know, I mean, I think, I think um, in the original time story, they said Maria Taylor wouldn't meet with Rachel Nichols last year to clear this up. Right. You know, if, if that's true, then that could be a reason why it lingered. But, who knows, you know, again, who knows? what's true and what's not. And I think Rachel Nichols had said that 
since this was leaked, she's tried to uh, to contact yeah. her and discuss it, and yeah. she hasn't been willing to. Take listen, it Maria Taylor doesn't listen to. I I don't think Maria Taylor has to forgive her or or you know become friends. I mean, Maria Taylor can do what she wants there, um, but you know she's going to let. I don't know you know how it affects both of them going forward in terms of like you know Maria Taylor's doing countdown and Rachel Nichols is on the sideline. They had to work together. So who knows? Messy situation. Uh, a couple more and I'll let you go. So the career of Marv Albert ended a few days ago. I think Marv is obviously one of the all time great announcers. I'll never be forgotten for sure. Um, as someone who listens to a lot of old Howard Stern, he was certainly the brunt of many jokes on that show. Um, but, do you have a do you have a Marv memory, a Marv thought, a Marv story, and where where do you think his legacy kind of lies after fifty years? No, I mean, his legacy is the yeah, I mean his legacy is the greatest NBA play by play man of all time, number one, yeah, a legend. Yep. you know he's on the Mount Rushmore of play by play people, and um, you know it's amazing if you if you the current crop of of broadcasters, especially Mike Green in the NBA. I mean they all cite Marv, you know, as an inspiration and. Um, you know, it's, it's, you, you, you know, he's right there with Mike Emmerich, Vince Scully. I mean, that, that's, you know, you have, a, you have a favorite iconic. Marv moment. Um, I do. And it's, it's funny cause it's actually not from the NBA. Marv used to do the NFL games for NBC with, yep. uh, he did it with Paul McGuire. I think mainly mostly. Yep. But, there was a season where he did uh, he did games with Bill Parcells, and um, there was a, something happened where a jet player was seriously injured, and um, the back then the Jets had like a, a cart that was like you know um, shaped like a helmet that would come out to get the player off the field. Right. And Parcells went on like a little rant about like, you know, you have these big, tough, strong, 300 pound players and this, you know, this stupid cart, this, you know, (laughs) childish looking thing comes out to get the player. And there was like a little silence and Marv, as Marv does, just, he he just perfectly put it all in perspective. And it was just like, Bill, not liking the Jetmobile. And I just remember just, you know, laughing my ass off when I heard that. That reminds me of the bullpen car in Major League. You know, and he goes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was like. The little little Indian thing. There was a great moment this spring um, where kind of 15 minutes apart or so, uh, Kenny Albert called an overtime. Or no, you know what it was? It was the it was a game where. At the very la- at the buzzer, the Tampa Bay Lightning had a chance to tie the game against the Islanders, and the defenseman got behind the goalie to save the game at the buzzer, and kind of crushed the call. And you know he's in Long Island calling the game; it's a great call. And then 15 minutes later or so at Barclays, you know, is uh, Marv uh, making a great call um, uh, on a buzzer beater or whatever it was. Um, oh, the the KD the KD jump shot to force overtime um, in that game. If you remember that from the playoffs, so yeah, kind of a cool night. Two a father son team separated in the same city by a few miles and a few minutes apart, making pretty iconic calls. 
um, on TV. Pretty cool. I thought kind of the moment of the spring for sports media for me um, would be that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a really, really great thing. Are you excited for the uh, Sopranos prequel? Finally, it will be released October 1st. Do you have that day circled? I'm actually, I'm actually not. Really? Um, yeah, I haven't been into it from when they announced it to even now. I just, you know, the appeal for me from, from the Sopranos was the cast. And that cast is not in the movie. So, you know, it's going to be watching a bunch of strangers, which wouldn't, doesn't appeal to me like it would if it was, you know, the cast. Well, I love, uh, I'm going to be good, but I, I, you know, I love the idea of David Chase just kind of opening us to up to a different part of that world. And, you know, I like the idea that it's Gandolfini's son playing Gandolfini. Um, and I am looking forward to it. I think that it's lost a little bit of a momentum with all the delays. Um, it's been frustrating, of course. And then even one last extra delay in true David Chase style, you know, as we all thought it would be September, was you know, September, 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 and then the trailer came out and it was uh, October first. It's like, oh, of course, you know, one last yeah. little David. Yeah, I would. I would. Um... Like I'd rather see another episode of the show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you could have picked, if you could have picked a a, a Soprano spinoff, I know that they've said that the Bacalas was something they considered. Um. Probably before they killed Bobby off, but you know, at some point there was a thought that maybe that could be a spinoff. Do you, is there a, yeah. a specific spinoff you would have enjoyed post Sopranos? Um. I mean, I think I probably would have enjoyed anything. Right. I, mean, I guess I'm giving you the power to pick what it would have been. Yeah. I'm trying because I'm trying to remember that last episode. I mean, I know like I think I, Sylvia was basically paralyzed. Right. I guess if you knew the, for, if you knew there was gonna be the spinoff, they may have kind of done the last few episodes a little different, maybe. Yeah. You know, because Christopher's dad, a, you know, um Silvio's basically dead. Well that's Bobby's also, dad. You know, Right, what happened with Tony in that final scene? Like, if Tony was whacked in that final scene, then I think a spinoff with, you know, Carmella and the kid could have been good. Um, You know, see, I don't know. That's a good, you know. It's hard to say unless you... I mean, listen, if you take out the final season, then, you know, I think a Christopher Pauly spinoff would have been gold. Right, yeah. Are you in the camp that he's dead? Is that your thought about the ending? I change my mind every few yeah. months. Yeah, I, I like the theory that when he's sitting down at the table and he's picking out the jukebox song that it's Don't Stop Believing and the other song is Any Way You Want It. And that's David Chase's mm-hmm. way of saying that I'm going to present to you an ending that is Any Way You Want It. And if that's... See, the here's sh- my issue. Yeah, go ahead. My issue with that, which makes... I mean, I get that. I don't want to work that hard when I'm watching a television show. <laughs> I'm not saying it was a good ending. I'm just saying that's my yeah, interpretation yeah, yeah. of it. Like, yeah. Just tell me what the hell's going on. <laughs> and, and, you know. Yeah. He did say on, uh, um, who is it, Bacala on Moltisanti's podcast, that they had an ending worked out where he would go to Jersey and they would film him kind of driving through and then they would just, yeah. you wouldn't see him ever come back. So you knew that he got killed in New York. You know, when he went over right. there. But um, I guess that would have been open-ended, too, because people would say, oh, they just he just wasn't back yet. You know, I don't know. Right. But right. it's it's my number one, I, you know, by far. It's always the debate. 
You know, some people like Breaking Bad. Some people like The Wire. And I love The Wire, too. You know, some people like Deadwood, Americans, Game of Thrones. Although that... I never had any idea what the hell was going on in Game of Thrones. <laughs> so... Right. Um, but... Uh, and the first... The last season. I mean, there was an episode shot in the dark. I think that disqualifies it. But is Sopranos right, your right, number right. one? Or maybe Curb for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I mean... You separate I, you know, them? If you're breaking it... Yeah. Yeah, drama. I would separate drama and yeah. comedy, although... So do Sopranos I. often qualified as a comedy. Yeah, I think when... Was it Seppenwall sure. and... Seppenwall and someone else did the TV, the book, and they ranked them, and I think mm-hmm. they didn't separate them, and Simpsons was number one, but Sopranos, right. was the, Sopranos was the number one drama. I think that was, right. you know, Simpsons, Cheers, Seinfeld, Sopranos... And uh, something else was like the top five in that, but um, that's right. a, I like I, I like that book as like a reference whenever I'm deciding on a new show to pick out. All right, Jimmy Trainer uh, writes Trainer thoughts every day on si.com, um, which is uh, obviously easy enough to find si.com, and he's had a great run of guests on the um, the media podcast, the Sports Illustrated media podcast, Sean McDonough. Who's always great when he's on this show, so I wasn't surprised you got a great interview from him too. Uh, as he gets ready to jump back in as the number one NHL voice in the country, which I'm really excited about as a hockey guy, because he's great. Um, and you had one before that, which I love too. I'm trying to think of what it was, Jimmy. I told you I loved it. What was the uh, one? Wertheim, maybe. Wertheim, yeah, Wertheim was really good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's great. Uh, speaking of Curb, there's a, a a book coming out about. Larry David by the guy who wrote Console Wars, um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, the the sports media podcast has been really good. Chris Long, Jim Ross, John Wertheim, Doris Burke, Andrew Marchant. Those are just a handful of the recent guests, and the most recent one, episode three forty six, is Sean McDonough. All right, Jimmy, do you have any questions for me before I let you go? Uh, I think that's about it. I'm, I think we covered good ground here. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'm sorry you're so down in the dumps about so many of the events. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that I'm down in the dumps. I just don't. I just don't. You know, they're not part of my world. You know. I mean, are you going to binge a show? Like, what are you going to do all summer? Do you watch Big Brother? Like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm, I'm a baseball fan. Okay, so all right. The Yankees every night. All right. Yeah. So. You know, no, I, I used to. I watched maybe the first, I would say, two to three seasons of Big Brother, but I gave up on that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll binge something, I'm sure. And, um, you know, but baseball is here. And, it's, you know, there'll be NFL training camps start in August. So it's not that long where, you know. Um, something I never dreamed. You gotta wait. Something I never dreamed I'd be able to do was go to see the Yankees in Buffalo play a regular season game. Oh yeah, that was how that, was that? That was a treat. It was a treat. It, yeah, uh, I felt a little bit bad for the. I mean, the Yankees are the number one team here, by far. Right, have always been my right. whole life, and they went from the stadium being packed. I think it was the third series, the first two series here. It was packed, full of Blue Jays fans, huge response, and then just overnight, it's like boom, three road games against the Yankees. You know what I mean? Like, really? Yeah, why, I mean, why did it change? Why, why was that first game? Why did it change? And like, what? 
Well, no, the first two know, series like, were like the Blue Jays versus the Orioles, and then the other. Oh, one, I see what you're saying. Right, right, right. and those were packed for for Blue Jays fans, and it was like that right, first right. week was like, and and they you know you'd hear the players saying like, oh, you know, we were here last year, but the fans are here this year, and man, they're great. They're treating us so well. You know, this is so great. You know, the the stadium right. is all full, um, and then you know overnight the next series <laughs> the Yankees come in. And it's ninety nine to one percent. I mean, yeah. if the Blue Jays had one percent, it's a lot. I mean, and they jacked the prices yeah. up. You know, they jacked they yep. they jacked them up for Yankees and Red Sox because um, there, there's a good chance the Red Sox are the second biggest team here. Um, and they jacked right. the prices up for those two series. Um, I guess they, you know, which of, of course makes sense. But um, yeah, I mean, it was packed all three nights. I went to two of them. And it was awesome. You know, it was awesome. Two good, three good games. Really, one was really long, um, but close games. And it was like amazing to see the New York Yankees and Buffalo playing regular season games. You know, so it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good novelty thing, right there. What's your Twitter, Jimmy? Is it just at Jimmy Trainer? Yep, that's it. That's it. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high I want to thank Jimmy Trainer For being on the podcast today Always appreciate and love talking to Jimmy. So in a second, we're going to do an interview with Pete Corrado, uh, who wrote a book called Primetime Hang Time. And I, I talked about how I was clearing out the books, that I wanted to take a break from reading. I wanted to enjoy the summer. That was going to be it for a while. And I believe that when I told you it. And then one night, I don't even rem- really remember exactly what the night was. I got a little frisky. And I got the... Uh, the app out on Apple that has the books and I started going through them and thought, man, I should get some emails out for books coming out in the fall. And I started to do that. And then it was, Oh, this one's in August. Let me send that out. Oh, this one's in July, but I like that author. Let me get that out. Oh, oh, oh. Anyway, when all the dust settled, we got four books on the book club right now. And then maybe we got two, right now and two later in the summer or fall and then we got i'll tell you about the maybe and then we got some more emails out and we'll see but this is what we got to announce for today first this is a definite book i got a copy to give away i'm excited about it it's tall men short shorts by lee montville who's a legendary uh, sports illustrated writer among other places and I sent the email out. Uh, He was also Boston Globe for a long time. Sports Illustrated, as I said. He's University of Connecticut grad. I sent the email out about Lee, about this book, because I wanted to have Lee on the show, right? So this is always the best way uh, to do it when someone has a book out. And uh, Lee does, so... Bada bing, bada boom. 
that's uh, kind of the newest book on the list. It, it came out yesterday, I believe. Um, it's called Tall Men, Short Shorts. It's a basketball book. Uh, the 1969 NBA Finals, Wilt, Russ, Lakers, Celtics, and a very young sports reporter. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to talk to Lee. He'll be on the show soon. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at uh, with that book, the first of four to mention. All right, the second book. It's called Across the River. It's by an author named Kent Babb. It comes out on August 10th, 2021. I found it. It reminds me of the SL Price book, but New Orleans. Um, so instead of talking about high school football in Pennsylvania, we're talking about high school football in New Orleans. It's called Across the River by Kent Babb. It comes out August 10th, 2021. I got a digital copy of this already. I, I, I kind of thumbed through it. And uh, then I'm going to get a book soon. And uh, Kent will be on. All right, so those two definites, they're in the club. Then there's two more. They're both definites, but they're a little bit further away in terms of release. The first one's called COVID Curveball. It's by Tim Neverett, who is a play-by-play guy for the Dodgers. The book's about the Dodgers run last year in the bubble. It comes out August 31st. Um, and I've talked to Tim a few times. He'll be on the show. Um, and when we get closer to the release of that book... I'll probably have one to give away. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. September 28th, 2021, The Baseball 100 by Joe Piznanski. You know that when Joe Piznanski has a book on out, I need it on my book club. Uh, We've done his Paterno book, a golf book he wrote, uh, and I think a third one. We didn't do Houdini. I know he wrote a book about Houdini. I didn't do that. I just wasn't interested, but... This book doesn't come out till the end of September, so we have some time on it. Uh, but right away, boom, we go from nothing to four books. Tall Men, Short Shorts by Lee Montville. Across the River by Kent Babb. COVID Curbwell by Tim Neverett. And The Baseball 100 by Joe Piznanski. Now, also, I said there's a maybe. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet has a book coming out called Out of the Pocket. It comes out in August. I talked to the publisher. They're into it. I talked to the ESPN. They're okay with it. So I think it's just going to come down to Kirk and if he wants to come on. Uh, so we'll see. Fingers crossed about that one. And then I have some emails out for some other books. But we went from zero to four pretty quickly there. So I'm going to have some homework this summer. I thought maybe I'd have some time off from reading, but nope. Look at um, I'm excited about these books, so who cares? You know, I'll take a break another time. So that's where we're at. That's where we stand. That's the book club. We're going to finish up with Pete in a second. Uh, and then uh, four new books. Lee Montville, Joe Piznanski, Kemp Babb, Tim Neverett, some monsters. Was going to be f- three debuts. You know how I love debuts. So three new guys. And if we get Herb Street, it'll be four debuts. So really exciting stuff. Looking forward to it. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Pete Carrado. Our next guest today is in Ithaca, New York, uh, and he's an author of a great new book called From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business 
entertainment and the birth of the modern day NBA. He's making his debut on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Pete Croato. Hey, Pete, how you doing today? I'm fine, Steve. How are you? Very good. The book, I mentioned it in the intro, but it's from hang time to prime time, business, entertainment, and the birth of the modern NBA. And I love the the basketball guy with the burger and the TV on his head with the Gatorade. It's bro- It's great. Great cover. I love the yeah, cover. Any backstory yeah, there? Yeah, I, I love... I love the cover too. That's um, I want to give a shout out if I can. I don't know yeah, if, if I have the yeah. um, the ability to do that since I'm a first time guest. Um, <laughs> shout away. But uh, <laughs> but James Ikiobelli, um, I hope I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. He's a graphic designer um, who I think is freelance like me. Uh, created the cover. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Oh, it's um, beautiful. You know because it's just also like I love how. You can you can see the cover from space because it's just so big and bold and it's and actually it's modeled after a Wheaties box which I think is another little cool wrinkle. Um, so yeah, I'm, I love I love that cover and uh, I'm I'm thankful that I got uh, such a great cover for a uh, for a first book. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. I you know I'll be honest straight away I'm not a basketball guy but here's the thing I I since I've started this podcast and been doing this book club. Some of the best books through have been basketball books. Um, the Last Great Game by Gene Wojciechowski is amazing about mm. the um, the Duke uh, Kentucky uh, Dream Team um, yep. by Jack McCollum. I one of my maybe my maybe my favorite book in the history of the book club. Um, Jeff Proman has had a few great basketball books. The two Lakers ones, um, Showtime mm-hmm. and uh, Kobe and uh, Kobe and Shaq. That one too. Um, so yeah. I'd never turn down a basketball book because even though I'm not really a basketball fan, um, at mm-hmm. least and especially the NBA, like I I love March Madness and I think the last NBA game I watched was when Cleveland won Game Seven. Okay. I mean, and, and what I say watched, I mean like from tip to buzzer. You know, I've watched. Yeah. If I can get in on a game with a minute and a half left, and it's seventy. 878 like sign me up you know what i mean yeah. i just mm-hmm. can't do the two to two four to two six to eight you know i just yeah it loses me but so i never turned down a basketball book and what i liked about this one is it's a sports book but really it's business right yeah. it's a yeah, sports absolutely. book camouflaging the fact that it's business <laughs> And I like when that happens. James Andrew Miller did that with ESPN. He said, I'm going to write an 800-page book about ESPN. And then I was like (laughs) 400 words in. I'm like, this is about business. This isn't about (laughs) ESPN. Tell me about uh, the business. You you camouflaged it, right? You put a basketball guy on the cover, but you wrote a business book, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I I think I wrote a book that can fit under several – Umbrellas. I think it's a sports book. Um, I think it's a, it's definitely a business book for sure. Um, even though I'm not a business writer by nature, um, I don't think I've uh, I don't think I've ever written for any business publications aside for ba- from uh, for Barons, which was like an essay. Um, but I think it's also it's also cultural history. Um, I think if you're if you're a fan of uh, of pop culture and music, it's 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 certainly scratches that itch. But yeah, I mean, I think. You mentioned all those books. You mentioned Gene's book and Jack's book, and Jeff's, Jeff's written some great books. But I think the best sports books, and I've said this a lot, aren't really about sports. 
you know, sports is sort of the platform to explore a lot of other issues. So if you read a book like, I'm looking at my book at my bookcase right here. Like, if you look at um, you know Pat Jordan's uh, A Nice Tuesday and and A False Spring, they're you know they're, they're memoirs, but they're really about you know growing up and getting older, respectively. Uh, I'm looking at Tanking to the Top by uh, Yaron Weitzman. That's a business book for sure because it's about how the you know Sixers sort of yeah I had him on took over yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a, he's a great writer. I, I think you know, I, and again, I mean, I wanted to write I wanted to write a book that my parents, who are not sports fans at all, would enjoy. So yeah, I want, and I also wanted to write a book that wasn't just going to be about you know that if, a, if if you were a basketball fan and you were reading it, you weren't going to say, well, I know this already. Like I know about you know Michael Jordan, put, you know, putting sixty three on the Celtics in eighty six. You know, I know about. Dr. J making the ABA, you know, going from the ABA to the NBA. So yeah, I wanted to write something that was a little bit, a little bit different, so that someone like you, who isn't, you know, a, a, a you know, a diehard basketball fan, would at least get something out of it and enjoy it. So yeah, that was very deliberate. I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up on that. The from tank, the tanking book, um, yeah, yeah. the Irons book that came out like literally 15 days to stop the curve, like that day or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Yours came out. Mm-hmm. Yours came out later, December, I think, 2020, maybe later, into, yeah. the, into mm-hmm. the pandemic. Did the pandemic have an effect on – I felt so bad for for, for for Yaren. Like, it just – and there was other authors, too, that came on around that time. John Feinstein, now he's a guy who's done this – he's got probably 50 books, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, and, it look, it still sucks, but, I mean, for, you know, a guy who finally writes his – first time book it's crushing it's you know but have you how did you do in terms of because this is towards the end of the cycle how was it to promote during the pandemic and did it did it did it did it cost you things did it did it help in some way like oh people are more willing to read maybe or i don't know like what was it like for you what was your experience that's a good question you know i haven't really thought about it because to be honest with you you know, I'm a freelance writer, and so all of my all so a good portion of my day is spent sending out, uh, you know, is is sort of sending out pitches to people and hoping that they read, hoping that they read it and accept it, and kind of just working in my own little bubble. So, so to me, this was promoting a book was sort of the same thing. Um, you know, I'm I'm sort of just you know sending out feelers to people and and talking to people and hoping that they'll they'll take it. So I, I don't know. That's a good question. I. Would it have helped if, if I had been able to go on a book tour or go, you know, maybe appear on a, a live on a TV show if anyone wanted to put up with my ugly mug? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I do think that being a, being a freelance writer with so much of my time is spent on self-promotion and getting people to partner with me to, to work on a story or to be interviewed for something. It really helped me in this instance because – you know, I just I just took the same principles that I that I take in pitching a story and just really expanded it to reaching out to magazine editors to run excerpts or to people or folks like you to have me on their podcast or their show. So I don't I did it hurt me. It's really hard to say because it, to me it was just another it was literally another day at the office instead of you know sure, instead of trying to get someone yeah. to write a story to work to get a, a get one of my stories published. It was okay. Well, let's talk about my book. So. I don't know, and I don't. I mean, the book seems to do, be doing well. It's still people are still buying it and still talking to me about it. So, 
I think what also helps is that the NBA season is very long. So, you know, right. so it, so the book is still relevant. You know, we're now in the conference finals. That was a huge help. And, you know, if anyone's listening, the NBA 75th anniversary is next season. So this book is certainly uh, relevant to, to that anniversary. So I'm hoping that – so I think the the fact that the book isn't about a team or about – you know, isn't seasonal certainly helped it. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't have anything to compare it to, to be honest. True. Yeah, I admire the hustle and the self promotion in the sense that that's the hardest thing for me. You know, that's yeah. the, that's like my biggest failure. I think as a as the host of this show is that I am not that anxious to promote it in the sense that there's probably people out there that I could go to and say, "Hey, you kind of owe me this favor. Can I be on your show?" or can we do this? I hate yeah. that. You know, I can't do that at all. I'm horrible at that. So, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't do. I mean, to me, I think of it as I have something that you will want, you will love to read, and yeah. you'll love to talk about. And I need to. See, that's the thing. Think that too. Yeah, yeah I yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, but you do. But you do. Look, you've been doing this for so long. I mean, you're profiled in friggin' Sports Illustrated. So it's not as if you're some. It's not as if you're 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 some guy who does this like periodically, or you're dabbling in it. Or you're not serious about it. Like you have something to offer, and that's how I think about it. When I whenever I write a story, whenever I want to pitch a story, pardon me, or with this book, is that I have something of value. You'll, you're either going to enjoy this. Your re, your readers will enjoy this. Your listeners will enjoy this. And that's really what keeps me going because, if, again, if I'm not – if I don't have that self-confidence, then, like, I don't pay my mortgage. You know, my, sure. my, my daughter yeah. doesn't, go to, doesn't go to daycare. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of look at it that way. And maybe that's a little extreme, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's worked for me so far. Well, and in this era, everyone's looking for content, and you have content, right? So that is a commodity. Absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. Exactly. I think there's. That's why I don't worry about my future because I'm doing the hard work for you. Yep. You know, it, all the aggregators out there and all the folks that need something to talk about to fill up hours or to fill up um, or to or that leads to to click uh, page uh, uh, to clicks or click throughs. Like I have that. I have something to offer. I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the 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 the. the I'm putting forth all the effort. So all you have to do is just you know have me on your show or, or run an excerpt and you know, I, I fill that void. So yeah, I'm, I sleep well at night. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I was just reading John Wertheim put out a book called glory days and it's yes. about the summer of 1984. I just, I, it was the book I read before years and I'm mm -hmm. going through it and there's all these nostalgia triggers for me. You know, I was born in 1980, so I was only four in the summer of 84, but like the, the things that are, popular in the book the things in the book they 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 live the whole decade or more you know and i'm reading about you know wayne gretzky i'm reading about uh bird and 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 magic and i'm reading about the karate kid and all these things yeah the star one of the stars of the book i didn't expect was david stern and then i went yeah. and read your book and oh boy david stern right is he when you think about He's passed away recently, and he, yeah. he's been retired for for a bit. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a little bit of time to sit back and reflect. Mm -hmm. He's the star of the one of the stars of the last two books I've read, and many more. And as the league is like you said, approaching its 75th anniversary, is there enough mm -hmm. of an appreciation for what David Stern and his vision, especially for things like cable? 
and what cable could do for the league? Is it appreciated enough to get enough credit? I think it isn't, but that's by design because the NBA is oh is just is based on stars and on what's hot now. So David Stern and to a lesser extent Larry O'Brien, the commissioner before David Stern, they're they're not going to be appreciated because they're not the stars. You know, if, if the NBA is all about the now. So the NBA is going to wisely invest in folks like like being players like Giannis and Trey Young and uh, LeBron James because that's who the fans want to see. Um, and, you know, as time goes on, David Stern is going to be forgotten, but that's by design because any sports league that is going to survive and thrive is going to try and make itself marketable to young fans or, or young aspiring fans, I should say. And young aspiring fans, a 13-year-old, or 14-year-old, 20-year-old, they're not going to care about about an old white guy, about an old white dude that died, you know, 2020. I mean, 2020 for all intents and purposes is 35 years ago in the way that in the way that I think television and uh, the media moves. So you're right. I don't. I, I don't. So I don't think David Stern gets enough credit. I don't think Larry O'Brien gets nearly enough credit. But that's the way. Unfortunately, that's the way. It's that's the way it is. Um, it's just the way that the, the, the modern world works is that, you know, what, what was relevant yesterday is for all intents and purposes, um, ancient history. And that's, that's fair. That's a smart take. I get that. But what about from the people who sit around and discuss and write and like, I know the league isn't going to like, you know, put out a pair of, you know, David Stern nikes or something you know of mm-hmm. course that you know that's going to be the, like you said trey young um who i'm yeah. a big fan of because i'm a sooners fan um there you go you know so when it comes to the nba i'm always you know cheering for the sooners a big mm-hmm. Eduardo nahara fan i mean what a player he was i think he should be in the hall of fame personally <laughs> oh, man you know i think he's a hall of famer in my book but um what about like <laughs> What about guys like me and you and sports writers and uh, keepers of the history of these leagues? Is he underrated to those people, maybe? I don't think, see, I think in, in that, among that crowd, among the, the writers and the historians and the, the, the sports nerds, I guess, I think we're, we're, in, that, we're in that latter camp. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think David Turner is properly rated. Okay. Um, you know, I think I think you know. Again, I think if if you if you talk to folks like let's say, you know, if you talk to Jack McCallum, if you talk to um, uh, you know John Wertheim, um, whose book I really want to read, it sounds fascinating. Um, it's fun. It's they, a fun you know, read. Yeah, those those guys I think will will are are able to tell you like yeah he, you know, or are able will be able to tell you about David Stern's importance for sure. Um, you know, because again, I mean, they because if someone like Jack, I mean, they. You know, he interviewed David Stern. He knew David Stern, and yeah, I think. But I think among the historians, yeah, I think they 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 proper they're able to properly rate David Stern in terms of his importance to the NBA's growth um, and uh, in popularity for sure. It's funny you mentioned interviewing because I was last night I was getting ready. I was just like perusing some reviews of the book, and they're really great, great you know, great reviews. But I did read the New York Times review, and the guy's like, he didn't have good access. He did three hundred. <laughs> he did three hundred interviews for it. Like in one sense, he's like he did three, over three hundred interviews. But 
I don't know. His access wasn't good. He didn't get Jordan. You know, it's like, who, yeah, who's sitting around I, I interviewing Jordan? Yeah, who's like, who's like, hey, I got a you book know, project, I, you know. Is it, I know. I saw that review, too. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, 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 yeah, I saw it, and I, the access, and that to me was just, I. It was foolish, right? You are fine with your little, access. It, I'm pardon me? I said it's foolish, right? You were fine with your access. You got, you no, did 300 look, interviews. Got, you were flooded with it. Yeah, I mean, look. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> My, right. my my I think I, I think I know where I'm going I think I know where you're going with this and I'll right. and let me know if I'm answering the question but yeah I saw that review I, I to me I, I thought that was that was to be quite honest with you um, bunk because odd, you know yeah. again I interviewed three, I, I interviewed 315 people for this book and that's a lot of people regardless I think it, you know, I think if you you know and and those people were able to give me plenty of insight and plenty of perspective on the NBA. And, and, and I'll also counter this by saying, okay, so yeah, I didn't interview magic. I didn't interview Larry. I didn't, I didn't interview Michael. Well, here's the thing. I don't think many, but I I don't think many people are, we're going to be able to get access to those guys. And there are, and that's the first thing. The second thing is if I were to interview, if I were to interview the, if I were to interview those, those people, They've been interviewed so many times, and they've heard every question. Were they going to give me anything, you anything I anything interesting or different or revealing? No. My suspicion is no, exactly. Yeah. And the second, and the second, and here's the second thing. I'm again, I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I'm seeing four books written about Michael Jordan. I'm seeing at least two to three. Bi- autobiographies written by Magic and Larry Bird. So if you want to talk, if you want to, if I, so everything that they had to say yeah, was, was yeah. available, was in those books. And if I can, if I may say so, um, there's also newspapers.com and, and past magazine, and magazine archives, which, which, ex- which, in which those players express their sentiments at that moment. So, you know, my, my, so Magic Johnson's comments about Converse you know, if I, if I asked him about Converse, you know, in 2018, his response might be, temp, might be tempered by time and, you know, and just the fact that our memories fade. But, you know, but going to, you know, digging through the archives and, 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 and seeing Magic, you know, kind of roast Converse in 1992, that is a lot more spirit and a lot more um, impact than if I were to talk to him about it in 2018. So yeah, I saw that review, and you know everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I'm look, I'm thrilled the book was reviewed in the New York Times. I mean, yeah, geez, true. I mean that's a huge that's sick, feather yeah. in my cap. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I, so I saw that with the axes, and I thought, you know what, like, well, some I people think are going to get the book. Some people don't. The producers so. are the last <laughs> the last ride. Is that what it's called? I think the producers the last dance. The last dance. They were nervous. They might not get Jordan. You know, he was a well, he was the executive producer. I'm joking, obviously, but you know, like, come on. You oh, know. I know. Yeah, like I know. I mean, look, I, I think. Look, I mean, I think if um, to me, what, one of the things that I like about the book um, is the fact that, and I may, and I mentioned this, I think, in the introduction, is that the book is that you know, there's more to the history of the NBA, especially during the period of the book, than Stern, Magic, Bird, Jordan. There is so much more to that to the NBA's history right. than those four than those four gentlemen. There are there's a legion of men and women who have gone unnoticed 
in popular discussion who made the NBA great. And that's everyone from Ted Shaker, who's the executive uh, producer of CBS, uh, the NBA and CBS, to, um, you know, folks like um, uh, Bill Marshall, who was in charge of NBA apparel, to Don uh, uh, Sperling, who was the head of NBA entertainment. There is a legion of men and women who contributed to the NBA's greatness. And the book, the, what I think makes the book special is that those men and women get their due. Um, and if you want to read, um, if you want to read about Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson, there are many, many books and I'll even lend them to you. Yeah. Take your pick. Talk about their yeah. greatness. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think that guy, he went to McDonald's for review was pissed off. The hamburger wasn't there or something. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, oh, the ha- oh, the, uh, oh, I mean, he's going to the wrong McDonald's. Yeah, ham- like, you have to go, you have to go to the, you have to go to the grand opening of a McDonald's. Right. The burgers were great, but where was Grimace? Yeah. It's like, all right. I think Grimace, I think Grimace might be dead because of, uh, <laughs> arteriosclerosis. I mean, sure. he's a big, or COVID. He's a big he, was, dude. he was a big guy. Yeah. COVID got him. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Poor, Grimace. Yeah, you did do 300 interviews. Another guy that does a lot of interviews is Perlman for his books, and I'm, yes. I, I have him for all of them. And he usually hit me with, you know, I knew this guy would be good, but when I sat down with so-and-so, like, I couldn't believe how great it was. And that was such a great contribution to the book. Did you have a guy like that? Ooh, that's a good question. Who was that guy or that woman? Um, I'll say this. I mean, it, you know, one of the fun things about this about the book was just the interviewing and the research. It was just so much fun because everyone was just so was surprisingly eager to talk and to share their memories and to share and to share what they went through with the NBA or, or whatever. And again, like I would say, out of the 315 interviews I did, the original interviews I did, 85 percent were great. There were maybe one or a few clunkers that were just, you know not that just didn't you know for whatever reason but one person who was surprisingly good was i would say george gervin was surprisingly good like when you i don't know when you whenever i interview stars or basketball legends there's or or sports legends there's always this sense of okay well they're going to be reserved they're not going to give you everything that they have but george gervin was wonderful and he was just candid and hilarious. Um, Phil Chenier was another guy that was just, you know, was just an amazing, a great talker and a really good dude. And somebody that, you know, I could have just talked to for, you know, you know, two hours. Um, and there were, and that's, and the thing is like, you know, if you, you know, if we, if you call me three days from now, I'll probably have five other people that were just tremendous interviews in terms of, um, in well, terms of just, you know, how revealing they were. I thought you were going to say Curtis Blow, but that guy never catches a break. So, you didn't, <laughs> Very you didn't think of Curtis him. Curtis was great. Yeah. Curtis was great. Look, Curtis was great. You know, MC Search was great. Curtis was great. I actually talked to him when he was, when he was having uh, breakfast with his wife, and he was, you know, he couldn't have been nicer. Um, he could have told me to go, you know, go... Um, go sought off, but Curtis was cool. He was very, you know, very accommodating. And he was, you know, you know, who's really good. DJ Jazzy Jeff was amazing. He yeah. was great. Um, but yeah, but, there, but again, there are literally, you know, I could spend the whole podcast talking about my favorite interviews and, you know, that wouldn't do any of us uh, any good. So yeah, it was, it was interviewing people for this book was really just a joy. It was, I, I, I can't express that enough. I do like nerdy details like that though. I don't know why. Uh, the book, is called From Hang Time to Prime Time, Business Entertainment and the Birth of the Modern MBA. 
a uh, few more minutes. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Was what did you learn in set, in terms of? I'm sure you went in with an expectation, and you mm-hmm. thought you know, you had an idea. Did, did something throw you off? Were you like, man, I just did not see that coming, or I didn't think it'd be like that, or you know. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was it was realizing just how important Larry O'Brien was in in this story. Um, Larry O'Brien was the commissioner before David Stern took yep. over in 1984. The trophy. I mean, it was surprise. Yeah, exactly. I was surprised to learn just how important he was as a public figure and how influential he was to the growth of the NBA because he, for two reasons. First, he brought a ton of legitimacy to the NBA just by dint of his um, public persona. Uh, He was somebody who was, you know, uh, uh, chairman of the DNC for two terms. He was on LBJ's cabinet. He was part of... uh, JFK's Irish Mafia, just a huge figure politically. And with David, with uh, with Larry O'Brien, he also was somebody who hired David Stern full-time and gave him full run. Basically, David Stern was the commissioner-in-waiting for like five years mm-hmm. after he was hired in 78. So I think Larry O'Brien's role in the, in the growth of the NBA was something that really surprised me. Um, even though you don't really know much, we don't really hear much about him, um, you know, in, in terms of um, as, as casual basketball fans, we, we know a lot about David Stern, but not so much about Larry O'Brien. You know, you mentioned earlier about how the, the NBA is, is based on stars and man, they mm-hmm. picked a great era to grow. When you think of the stars that came through in the era where your book is focused, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, I think even if you just if you look at the dream team from 92 and your book ends a little bit before that, but mm-hmm. um, man. Talk about a league just ripe with stars. I wonder if there's ever been a period where a league had more of its top 50 players playing at once. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I mean, the 70s were pretty were pretty fertile, but I think the 80s were just, yeah, that was just a special time. And, you know, a, bit, a lot of it was because, you know, I think you had, um, you didn't have expansion, um, you know, playing a role. I mean, 96, I'm sorry, 95, you had Vancouver, um, and Toronto enter the enter the mix. That kind of watered things down a little bit. Right. Um, you also had players staying in college, so they were. I think they were better prepared for the pros. Teams stayed stay, teams stayed around longer because That's a free great agency point. Yeah. wasn't in the mix. Um, and you know, it, it was it was a great. I mean, yeah, you had a lot of great players at that time. And I, I, but I don't know. I, I I think you know who's to say what's going to happen in the next ten to twenty years. I mean, this this might be the era where. That we're watching now, where everyone, you know, we have the next great wave. So, but yeah, the '80s were just were special for sure. And in terms of the rivalries, I mean, it, it was a it was an amazing period to be a basketball fan. And my one regret in life is not is becoming a fan a little bit after that. I got into I got in the NBA like you know 1990 1991, and I kind of missed the Jordan heyday. I'm mean, sorry, the Bird heyday and the Magic heyday. And but yeah, but it's um it was a special time for sure. And I. I uh, you know, I, I think this book captures captures more than a little uh, flavor of that of that period. And it was kind of cool how the the teams kind of ran through each other, right? Like you had the Lakers and the Celtics kind of battling mm-hmm. back and forth, and then came the Pistons, and then the Bulls had to get through the Pistons. You know, it had kind of yeah. that, that lineage of like who the alpha team was, and the emerging team had to ultimately get through them. I remember like going mm-hmm. with my dad to his friend's house. Um, when the Bulls lost, one of the years the Bulls lost to the Pistons, and we were going for, I don't know if it was a game seven or earlier game in the series, and 
you know, they were really excited about Jordan, obviously. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, is this the day? Like, are they going to get through them? You know, I just remember how disappointed they were, you know, that they weren't. And I, I said that to my dad, like, the night that Jordan hit the shot against the Jazz. I was like, do you remember, you know, that day at your friend Dave's house? And he's like, no. I'm like, I'm like, wow. It's because it's like, imagine, like, if we would, if I would have said to you guys that day, you know, well, don't worry. He's going to get six of these babies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I like that aspect of that era, just how the, the super teams had to go through the other super teams, you know, to get there. Like, yeah. You know, like all of a sudden, and, and the super teams didn't work out this year, really, right? It, we have something different, but. You know, let, mm-hmm. let's say the Clippers did. You know, the Clippers, or, or Brooklyn, maybe is a better example. They yeah, weren't like Brooklyn's probably better. Example. Yeah, they weren't like knocking at the door of someone for a while. They just kind of came out of nowhere. It's like all these guys yeah. got together and there. There's this team. I don't know. I guess I I like that part of it and that part of the era. I like that too. Yeah. I, I like the. I, I you know I'm I, I miss and you know, I I was at the tail end of this when I as a as when I was a young basketball fan, but I miss teams being around for five, six years, you know, or even three years, just to kind of get a feel, you know, I miss that, com- I miss following a team, getting close to them, getting to know them. Um, and, and, but that's, you know, but it's, but we're, we're in an age of individuals and, you know, the, the book kind of ends in 1991 with NBC, with NBC kind of taking over right. and, you know, they marketed NBC marketed the games as with, as individuals, they were big on marketing players. And it's funny how the NBA, you know, even the, the, the teams that are, that are assembled now, you know, they're, they're assembled around individuals, you know, you get three big pieces together and those are your stars. And, you know, I think you're seeing now Trey Young becoming the star in Atlanta. Um, that's just, it's been his coming out party. So we're, it, it's, you know, it's sort of a quaint notion now where teams used to be the stars and now players are the stars. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, NBC was a good example of that it was always, you know, it was Jordan Miller, you know, Pacers bulls. It, it's, and that, that, that's sort of how it is now. But I will say this, the game to me is still fun. I still get a kick out of watching a basketball game. I was watching last night, um, you know, the, the Hawks and, uh, Hawks and Pacers, Hawks and Bucks go at it. The, the games are still fun for me. These still these are still the best athletes of the world uh, in the world going at each other. So there's still joy and there's still fun in those in watching an NBA game, even if the way that we that the games are promoted, they're marketed, are different. The, the games are still the game is still the game, and you know that that'll that'll that does. I'm just fine with that. Well, the NBA does have the unique opportunity of like. They're small. The rosters are small, and the players don't have helmets on. You know, you get mm-hmm. to see their faces, and you know, like their gears, like a shorts and a shirt. You know, like even yep. baseball mm-hmm. has got the cap and the hats when they bat, and you don't see their faces yeah. as well. You know, and in football, obviously, I mean, in hockey, it's full gear. It's like you can't see the guys mm-hmm. at all. You know, yeah, hockey players, especially, I think, you know, roam around in anonymity in their cities. You know, like Patrick Kane, you could probably see Patrick Kane on the street in Chicago and someone might think he's a paper boy, you know, not one exactly. of the you know, greatest <laughs> hockey players of all time, which I guess is probably nice. It's like, you know, I get to, you know, be famous in a way and, and make famous people money, but I also get to like blend yeah. in too. You know what I mean? It's probably nice. Yeah. yeah. But that's, but that's, impo- I mean, it, with the NBA, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, hockey, baseball, I mean, with, with, with basketball, you know, you know, if you're if you're a baseball fan and you and you're a fan of let's say Mike Trout, 
you're going to see maybe Mike Trout three times, four times at the plate, five if you're lucky. Right. You're, I mean, he'll he'll be in the and outfield. And he might go and, one for five, and that's a great day. Exactly. Right? You know, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe, yeah, or maybe he'll have, he'll have you know, maybe if he's in the outfield, he'll have, if you're lucky, he'll have one great play where he, you know, makes a diving catch or throws a player trying to score from, from you know, from second to home. With, with basketball, the players are constantly exposed. So if you want to see Trey Young, you get to see him for 40 minutes, and he is. And you see him. The you see him. He's not going to the bench to and take he's long breaks. Yeah, he's going to shoot it too. He's going to shoot he's it. He's going to be on display. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And David Stern understood that in terms of the marketability, he understood that the players were, as you put it, exposed. So you yeah. can. They're, so they're very easy to market. Um, and you're right. I mean, you could. I mean, that that's that's a huge benefit to the NBA, and the players are also very willing to market themselves. Unlike baseball, Mike Trout, like Mike Trout has said, you know, that's not what I'm interested in. That's his, that's his prerogative. But, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm curious what you think about this. If Mike Trout was willing to be marketed, do you think that the that Major League Baseball would know how to market him? No. Market him properly? No, because yeah. they haven't done it. So, you know what I mean? It's like exactly. They'd be rookies. They'd make, you know what I mean? They might make, mm-hmm. they might, you know, like even the rookie of the year, you know, still has his stretches where. You know he can't get a hit because, you know what I mean. Like I think no, I think yeah. they're they're far from veterans at that. You know they'd make mistakes. It wouldn't be great. You know, like I was a I, I was a Braves fan growing up because they were the only team in Buffalo I could watch every day. And oh, uh, there you go, yeah, TBS, yeah, there, yeah. TBS. I could watch Super them every Asian. day. So I was a big, I was a big, uh, I was a big fan of of the Braves, and uh, we got I got to go to a game in Pittsburgh, and uh, I was mm-hmm. a big Dave Justice fan. And a big Greg Maddox fan. Those are probably my two favorite players. Well, Greg Maddox didn't pitch. I never even see. I there, I have no proof he was there that day. You know, I never saw yeah. him. And Dave Justice was over mm-hmm. four with four strikeouts. <laughs> you know well, there I mean? you go. You know, so that but that's yeah. baseball. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I wasn't lucky yeah. enough to be there the game that he hit the World Series winning home run or whatever. But you know, yeah. You know, but that's the thing. That's the thing with with ba- with. With baseball, you're rewarded for patience. Yes. Baseball's a game that rewards It's every day. Patience. Show up every day. You know, yeah. yeah. Get here every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. But basketball, what's great about basketball, why I think there's such, a, there's such a low bar to entry if you're a fan, is that basketball is the ultimate OCD sport in terms of accessibility to players and just and the game itself. So, like, if you – so, yeah, you don't have to wait. I'm trying to think who's playing that. Yeah. Okay. So if you're a um, uh, a Paul George fan, you don't have to you don't have to wait five days for for Paul George to possibly show up. Like you're gonna you you can, you can turn on the game tonight and you can see Paul George right there and then. Like there's no there is no like oh boy I mean he's you know he might go over five or he he's not gonna pitch today because he you know he already pitched. You get to see Paul George and if you're a fan like that is if you're a new fan that is such an appealing thing. To just to the immediacy of it, and, and I love baseball, but, but no, baseball doesn't it. doesn't have that immediacy, no. doesn't. And now that okay, so let's let's kind of finish on this. So I know this is yeah, like, sure. I know this isn't necessarily from the book, but you know you wrote the book on this, mm-hmm. so I think you're ripe for an opinion on it. So of course, what we've okay. been saying, like that's true in the playoffs, right? But yeah, it's not necessarily true of the season. You could very well, mm-hmm. especially on the road, pay you know. Enormous scalper prices for a LeBron James game, and he doesn't mm-hmm. play, right? He's on. That's very true. He's on maintenance or whatever, and it's part mm-hmm. of a bigger thing that I guess I want to ask you. It's one part of it. 
Yeah. You know, the sure. NBA has lost a lot of audience the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not an, that's not me making an opinion or hating on basketball. You know, just the raw data. They've lost a, a large, a large, it's, it's very, very popular on Twitter. But I don't know that that's translating, you know, as much to the real world. The last couple of years, it's been a, a crazy ride you know what i mean and i'm not gonna yeah. i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not pointing any fingers i'm not gonna mm-hmm. even get into why or why not to, sure. me, to me it's it's that's a different conversation and for someone else to figure okay. out but as as for the guy who wrote the book about basketball business in mm-hmm. a sense and the rise of it and the way that they used yeah. they used these things that we've talked about to explode the game from tape delay NBA finals, you know, mm-hmm. to enormous cable contracts and to NBC and all that. What do you think is, do you see things and you think, Oh boy, careful there. Or do you think, man, it's just been an odd couple of years and all this is going to kind of figure out and kind of stabilize and, Kind of that, or like, where do you stand on what you see in terms of the business of the NBA now? Do you think that it's a? I know this is a long-winded kind of get the question out guy, and I'm trying, no, but I'm, I'm I'm limited. I'm limited on talent here, so I'm trying to get out what I want. In the, <laughs> You're in, doing in the right way. No, you know look, what I'm I, saying, right? Like, I'm where the, where are they? Yeah, when you, the guy who wrote the business book. When you look at the business of the NBA in 2021, and you see some yeah. of the data we've seen, which. I know not some people won't say it out loud, but and and they also might say, "Well, this, this, and this." But when you see a fifty percent drop or something in in ratings, I don't care. That's it's got to be alarming. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I no. That's look. I, I specialize in long winded questions, so it's it's not a problem. Oh, that was a beast um, of one for just, sure. Just, yeah. just ask, just ask anybody who I talked to. Um, <laughs> though I didn't talk to Larry Bird. Um, yeah, yeah you know, you? I. How dare I? Oh, um, Back of what was I going to say? Go ahead, hit us, <laughs> hit us with it. No, I, um, I, I, you know, I don't worry about that. I think the, okay. you know, there's a there's a quote in the in the book that I think kind of sums up the NBA's business model. Um, it's from uh, Joe Cohen, who who founded um, MSG Network, and he said, you know, the NBA's business model is to not have a tradition, to be on the cutting edge, and I think this is this is this is part of that. You know the NBA. You know again this, and the same thing goes with with every with every sport. You know, television is not the meal ticket that it once was. The NFL, I think, recently signed a deal with Verizon, I think, or Amazon for 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 uh, for game rights, yeah, Amazon. For, for game coverage. Yep, Thursday night. Exactly. Yep. So so the so and so the NBA is gonna is gonna do the exact same thing, and the NBA is or or I think they will because the NBA is all about cutting edge. They're ne- they're they're they are they are they are masters at not screwing their feet into the ground into the ground of tradition like baseball does. So the NBA is going to is going to is at some point will pivot toward where the kids are. So if it so it might be Twitter cuz the NBA is really active on Twitter and NBA Twitter is a real thing, trust me on this. No, like I said they're thing. very popular on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they'll fi- they'll figure they'll figure out where to go. And the other thing too about about the NBA is that there's such a worldwide interest in it. So the so the TV ratings, yes, I mean they might they may not be 
um, sparkling and encouraging, but that doesn't tell you the whole story. It doesn't tell you about the NBA's reach overseas. It doesn't. T- it does. It's a, which is a big thing, and it also doesn't tell you what the what, what the NBA is thinking about for the future. And I think they're. Go- I think they're going to look digital. I think they're going to they're going to look at the numbers uh, on Twitter and on on online platforms and pivot more toward there toward there, and they'll be fine. I mean, the M- look. This is not nearly as bad as the late 1970s and early 1980s when, as you said, you know, NBA games, finals were on tape delay, when, you know, when Davidson had to beg to get a TV contract from CBS Sports. Um, you know, the, the NBA is not, is, not, is not in peril, I think. I think, like every other sport, they have to figure out a way to stay relevant, and they have to figure out a way to attract eyeballs that are more distracted and have more options than at any other time, I believe, in America in American media history. So that's a challenge they have to they have to face, and I think they'll I think they'll face it. I think they'll I think they'll meet it. Um, you know, the game is popular. The game the game has stars. You know, the NBA just has to figure out a way to to make sure that enough people watch them, and whether it's on TV or on a laptop screen or your phone, they'll they'll figure out a way to do it. I'm not worried about the NBA and, and their future popularity. Not not at all. So you think the problem is the medium? Yes, I do. Okay. I, I mean, look, I mean, how I think if you if you talk to look, I am I'm 43, so I'm ancient, but I don't think a 13 year old or a 22 year old or a 30 year old they're not watching. They're 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 they are consuming media in a different way than 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 I am, and it's in a different way than than, than our parents are. So it's just, it's just a matter of finding out a way to bring those to bring those disparate set of sets of sets of eyeballs under one umbrella. And it might be it might be it might be doing it on Snapchat. It might be doing it on you know might be having something on partnering up with Amazon or 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 you know or Hulu or 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 even Netflix. I don't know. I mean there there is that's that to me is the problem. Is just you know there used to be back in the day. Okay, <clears throat> if you want to watch. You know the the Pistons and the Pistons and Bulls. You got to turn on CBS. You got to turn on NBC. Well, now I can watch the game and enjoy the game on my Twitter on on my Twitter feed. You know, I can do I can I can see you know what Russ Bankson or um, or Curtis Harris are, are saying about it and enjoy the game that way. So there's got to be a way to make the communal experience. There's got there's a way to there has to be a way to bring the communal experience of Twitter of Instagram of wherever under an umbrella how that how that's done to monetize how yeah how do you how you exactly how you monetize that that is well beyond my pay grade sure um but there's a way to do it of course okay all right i would have listed probably a few other things as bigger problems but well i'm curious what 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 would you what would how i'm curious how would you do it i mean look i'm i'm certainly not look i'm not an expert i mean i'm 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 calling from i'm calling i'm making this phone call from a basement office Um, wearing wearing jams, so like I don't, I you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not the, I'm certainly not, you know, Marshall McLuhan, Michael Lewis here. Like, what would, you, how would you, how would you do it? I'm curious. Well, I just think that you have to find a way to reach out to the people who left the last couple of years. I think there's some other problem, like you know, I think the relationship with China is problematic. You know, yeah, it is. It's, I, it's, I, it's I, not, it's not great. Yeah, I get, I get that you want to be. You want to give you want the players to feel like they have a platform and they have a voice, and I'm all for that. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to like you know like if you want to if if you want to say 
this country has our country has problems that we need to work on. But then, you know, if a GM tweets something about Hong Kong and like he's practically pitchforked out of the league, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's just very problematic, you know, and, and, yeah, I, and I understand. Yeah. You know, and and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it just seems and I might be reading into this wrong, but, you know, there's been a few incidents with fans and players this postseason. You know, and mm-hmm. when I seen those, I just thought like, well, man, I wonder if there's fans out there who feel like for the last two years, all the players have been basically saying that they're the root of all evil in the country, you know, and now they're yeah, that's, in, that's, and now they're yeah. in the arenas and they're saying and, and that's creating a that's creating the standoff in a way, you know, or if, if that's part of the problem. So I would just be really hmm. worried about those things. From business, right? Because we're talking business, right? And if I'm in business, yeah. I just want everybody to buy this, right? I don't want to. That's a good. That's yeah. You know, that's yeah, where that's I'm coming a really from. Really good. Yeah, those are good points, and I and I understand that, and they're valid points. But I'll, I'll counter with this: there's always going to be a youth market with the NBA, and that youth market is perpetual. So, so yeah, there might be fans that don't that that didn't don't appreciate the kneeling and aren't a fan of the social justice um, uh, uh, protests, that, that's fine. But to me, there's always going to, the, the thing about the NBA is that they always cater toward a youth market. So they are all, so there's always, there's, so you, so if two people drop out, there's going to be three kids wait, waiting in line to buy the merchandise and watch the games and do all that stuff. And I think, as, and I think that's just, that's always been the model, so I think there's I think there's going to be a repl- there's a, there's going to be a replenishment. There's okay. always a replenishment coming up coming on board. And the thing too with the fans too is that, you know, you also have to remember this: we're a year away from a pan- we're you're, we're just coming out of a pandemic. You have people that are that are now just in, going out into the world in a social atmosphere for the first time in a year. You put in alcohol. You put in, you know, you put in. A, you, sure, you, that's you fair. Alcohol, a lot of people have had a, a rough year. You know, a high, lot of people are coming. High, high emotions. Yep. People are gonna are gonna are gonna act like uh, like morons more so than usual. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think again, I'm not worried about the NBA's um, fan issue. Um, if they want to reach out, they possibly should. They could do that. But to me, I think there's always going to be a long line of of newcomers that are going to, that are going to be, um, into the game. So that doesn't worry me so much. And I don't know. I think there's also the side too that a player like LeBron James or, um, you know, or, or Giannis or whoever, I mean, what they might say, what, if whatever they say about something that might endear them to fans who want, or new fans who want their, who want athletes to be people. I think there's, there's such, there is a real, you know, we're, we're in an era now where we're fans, I'm sorry, where players are increasingly corporate, they're increasingly buttoned down, they're not saying, they're not, they don't want to say anything or do anything that's going to make, that's going to make them um, uh, the victim of a, of, of a tweet storm or public scorn. So to have someone like LeBron or another player say something or use a Twitter feed in a, in a way that promotes social justice or shows their side as a human being, that's going to endear, I think, fan, new and old fans who want to see players as people and not as both teams played hard, we have to take it one game at a time. So I don't know. You're, you're going to lose some fans, but I think you're also going to gain some fans too. It's true. It's an interesting point about LeBron and you want him to be a person, and that's 
great and and you want to say like hey here's this guy and you know sure he's successful with business but it, he, he's willing to risk it and that's great until but then the problem is is he's willing to risk it until it's china right and then he does suddenly doesn't want to risk it anymore yeah that's true you know that's so. true but yeah it's it's not it's not it's, it's not perfect it's not perfect and look i mean we're, we're, we're this conversation is part of that you know it's you know for every you know for someone who's willing to say talk about um brianna taylor or incidents like that there's there's a player who's gonna you know not talk about getting vaccinated so yeah it's it's imper it's certainly imperfect but i think the fact that these I think the fact that you're seeing players try to become people under the spotlight, under a, under an intensely uh, intensely public spotlight. Sure, it's I, not I think easy. That, I think that I think that has that's not. You're right. It's not easy, yeah. and I think that 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 shows that these players are people, and I think there are a lot of a lot of fans that like that. It's like, yeah, okay, well, they're 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 a human being. I mean, that's look. I'm I'm flawed too. I mean, I'm sure you know if we if we if we talk you know more more and more about things people would say, oh, this guy's a schmuck. But, you know, it's just how it is. Well, you talked about newcomers, and you're a newcomer mm-hmm. to the world of author. Not writing, because yes. you're a writer, but a new, a first-time author, Pete Croato, and the book is from Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day MBA, and I enjoyed it, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to promote it and to talk about it with you. Uh, so thank you very much. Anything else? Steve, Any- Oh, hold on. A couple more things. I should probably give yeah. out give out your Twitter, um, because people will mm-hmm. look for updates and will want to hear other stories that you write and things like that. And they can do it. It's at Pete C R O A T T O. So find Pete there. You get a nice little look of uh, his office there. Uh, there's many books, <laughs> many books, many many books, um, and. Like I said, the book, you can buy it where you buy books, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> so I guess the only things I have left for you are, is there anything else you mm-hmm. want to promote or mention? That's A. And then B, do you have any questions for me? Just check. Well, let's see. Um, absolutely. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, if you want to buy the, if you wanna buy the book, uh, as you just said, you can buy it just about anywhere. Though, if you want an autographed copy, you can get that at Odyssey Bookstore in Ithaca. If you go to odysseybookstore.com, um, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, bookstore.com, you can put, you can uh, call or email the store for an autographed copy. I'm happy to send one uh, out to you. Uh, the other thing is you, I'm also happy to send a signed book plate. So if you buy the book, enjoy it, and don't want to give it a goodwill or throw it in the trash, um, I'm happy to mail a signed book plate free of charge. So that's uh, happy to do that. Um, yeah, and Twitter is probably the best place to find me because I'm always – mouthing off and doing stupid things there um yeah and i don't have i don't think i have any other questions for you other than okay, um okay. you know just check if, if there's anything else you want to ask me i'm you know i'm here i'm, but I'm goofing this is with great you. i'm goofing with you look at <laughs> i have the autograph copy no pressure i got 13 years till my daughter is going to be going to college so around then if this could go you know if there's any way to find this to be worth you know a couple of gur or something then i might have to part with it um, you know, eBay or who knows what a fifth geez, 13 years from now, who the heck knows? Maybe I'll sell it to someone on Mars, but, um, <laughs> I do have the, I'll be looking for a Steve though. Um, cause it does say to Steve. So 
Well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, you do what you have to do. <laughs> I, 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 I understand. Look, college is college. college that's is all I'm thinking. Gonna, it, yeah, that's it. It's going to be know. more expensive in, in, you know, in 15 years. So, hey, you know, whatever you got to do to, to pay that, to pay that uh, room and board, I won't be mad at you. I, again, I appreciate having me on, and this was a lot of fun. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate you. All right. You got it, man. I want to thank Jimmy Trena and Pete Croato for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this episode and every episode of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters there. And please do email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. The 24-inch podcast is going to be new this week as well. Hollywood Dave Rollins and I have a new episode that we're going to do on when Hulk Hogan turned in 1996. When he turned into a bad guy and the NWO started. It was the 25th anniversary recently. And we're going to do that on the 24-inch podcast. Don't forget to check us out. Uh, on Facebook, really, is the best place to do that podcast for sure. Just search 24-inch podcast on Facebook and you can join our group. Or you can find us on Twitter. We're the number two, the number four-inch podcast there. Uh, or if you'd like to email specifically, the number two, the number four-inch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to check out my buddy Peter Winson. Greetings from Allentown. He's at GF Allentown Pod, which is now bi-weekly. Um, so... Every other Thursday for that, he's got 220 out uh, as we talk world-class championship wrestling uh, from January 19th of 1985. Uh, So you can check that out, and don't forget about his show with Keithy uh, that he does, Greetings from Allentown Live, which is still every week around the weekend or so, is usually uh, when you can uh, find Peter and Keithy out there uh, on your podcast app. So uh, those are the plugs. But please, uh, at sports underscore casters for this one. Um, Facebook for the 24-inch pod. We got a cool group there. And uh, that reminds me. So one last thing tonight. You know that I've often been on the Place to Be Nation podcast. Uh, Keith, or Keith, sorry about that, Scott. And uh, Justin have been nice enough over the years uh, to have me on the podcast. And they've been nice enough uh, to let me be part of the community that they've built. Um, You know, one of the great things about the Place to Be Nation podcast is it's not just a podcast. There's kind of a community that exists of people who are either fans of the show or do shows themselves on the various podcast channels that they have, whether it's the Jenny position channel or the north south connection or either of the place to be nation ones and over the years that i've been a part of the community there's been chat groups on you know uh messenger there's been message boards uh there's been um a facebook page a group page which is where most of the communication communication is done now 
And, you know, over the years, I've met people. I've met some people that I think I can call friends. You know, I met Peter Winston, who I do a podcast with occasionally, uh, and who I've actually met in Boston, and who I text with and talk with, and he's a friend of mine, Peter, my friend Peter. I met him that way, through that. And his podcast, too, Greetings from Allentown, but it's all kind of tied together. And then there's my friend Justin, who's the host of... uh, a place to be and, and we become friends and kind of talk about different things politically and sports and music and he's asked me to do some things on the channels and on the um on the website and i've appreciated the opportunities to do them and i think i can call him a friend my friend justin from there and then there's jenny who runs the jenny position and i like to talk to her about podcasting and um uh, you know, we will uh, sometimes uh, talk about our families, our kids. Um, you know, we'll talk about what's going on. We, we pick songs every week together for the Place to Be Nation. It's just a connection. You know, I made a friend. Jenny's a friend. You can text her, call her. Because of the Place to Be Nation. Because of the podcast. Because of the community. Uh, D'Amato, John D'Amato who I've become more and more friends with the last six months. We talk about the events he goes to. We talk about sports and culture. And he's a great, great supporter of the work I do. And he's so kind to me about things that happen on this podcast. And, you know, I consider him a friend. You know, I can reach out to him um, and say, you know, John, can you help me with this or talk to me about this? You know, and and there's been a bunch of different people. Uh, Dave Rollins, I, I sort of met this way too, in a way, on the internet because of wrestling podcasts and connections. And I also met a guy named Calvin, Calvin Crowell. And it was around 2017, and I was doing these DraftKings things, and he was signing up, and we were talking on there, and we were kind of talking about not fitting in there sometimes. And we we we, we had a connection and we, we became friends. But we never met in real life. But it, it still feels real. And, you know, he would s- send me messages. He, he had a bad back. And uh, he had heard my struggles. He had heard me share on this show my struggles with health. And he, it was an inspiration to him, he said which was hard for me to accept. Um, but I believed him. And um, we became really close friends. And, you know, I would message him on text message or a messenger. We would call and talk to each other. And he would send me messages like this one. He sent me. I'll read it. He said, I just heard season nine episode. So this was in February of 2020. I just heard season nine, episode 13, and your sincerity about how much you care and your emotion about the bag and the Crohn's really touched me, man. I had minor back surgery Monday, and I needed to hear your strength and courage. I fucking love you and your family, Steve. Your courage means so much to me. It may be weird we've never met, but you're a top five person in terms of importance in my life. Thank you for everything you do. I love you. And he sent Paula wrestlers. For Christmas, a box of wrestlers, because he collected them. But these loose ones 
weren't really collectors, and he didn't play with them really, and he knew she would, so he sent them to her because he was kind like that. And when I organized a Place to Be Nation uh, Christmas exchange, and he was in it the first year, but the second year he wasn't, and I was concerned it was because he couldn't afford to be. Um, and I don't know if that was the case or not. I never asked, but I got everyone together, and I said, I think our friend needs us to give him a gift. And everyone was so generous, and we raised all this money, and we bought him an amazing gift, a Kindle and a memory card for the Kindle. And, man, it felt so good to, to be there for him. And the other day, maybe it's a couple weeks now, Saturday afternoon, I was taking a nap, and I turned my phone on to find out the news that he had passed away. Calvin was dead. Too soon. Gone. No more text messages. No more voicemails. No more messages on Messenger. No more packages for Paula. He had passed away. And I'm going to be honest, I felt a lot of guilt. You know, I don't know how he died. No one has offered that information to me. I got an idea of a few possibilities. And I felt guilty just because I know what he had said to me in that message I read. And I felt like maybe I had let him down. That I wasn't there enough for him. That maybe I didn't give him enough advice. That maybe I didn't try hard enough to meet him in the real world. You know, he's in Jersey and my brother Anthony's in Jersey. And I just knew this summer I'd be in Jersey and we'd meet that. And I just knew that would happen. I would meet Dave and I would meet Cal and I would meet John. And it would happen in Jersey. It would happen this summer. I knew it would. And it still might for John and Dave, but it won't for Cal because Cal is gone. He passed away, and I felt guilty about it. And I know I shouldn't because, look, at it's a guy on the Internet. I never had the chance to make a real-life impact with him. And it was a weird feeling that first day because I felt such grief but also confusion. You know, it's confusion. I don't know anyone who knows Calvin for any reason other than Place to Be Nation. I don't know anyone he's ever worked with. I don't know anyone he's ever went to school with. I don't know anyone that is in his family. I don't know anyone he's ever dated. I don't know a soul in his life unless they have a similar connection to Place to Be Nation. I just don't know anyone. When someone dies in my life, I call up someone that knows them as well and I say oh no what happened and we talk about it and we have memories and we say remember this time remember that time remember when we did this I don't have that with Calvin the relationship I have with Calvin is very much between Calvin and I you know I bet some of the closest people to him don't even know I exist they certainly couldn't pull me out of a lineup the people closest to me, they know about Calvin. I say to my wife, hey, Calvin, my friend Calvin sent Paula these. 
Oh, Calvin. I say to her, hey, we raised money for Calvin. Oh, that's great. But she doesn't know him. She's never met him. And I feel so disappointed that 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 won't happen. And I feel disappointed he's gone. And I feel disappointed that some of the things that happened to him in his life happened. You know, I'm mad that someone hit him with their car. I'm mad that people close to him stole from him. I'm mad that his back couldn't be better. I'm mad that he didn't make it to Portland. I'm mad that I didn't get to meet him and he didn't get to meet me in New Jersey this summer. I'm mad about that. But I'm happy. I'm happy I met Cal. I'm happy I made a friend on the internet because of a wrestling podcast. And I'm happy that I was able to inspire him, if that's what it was. I'm happy that he said to me, Steve, I'm going to be on the Place to Be Nation Mount Rushmore podcast, and it's a bucket list item to do a podcast with you. Will you do it? And I'm so glad I said yes and did it with him. We were on a podcast together. He was able to check that off his bucket list. Which, you know, still hard for me to believe uh, that that was that important to him. But it was. I was important to him and he was important to me. And we never got to meet. And he's gone. um, But he won't be forgotten. And there's been many tributes done. Not only on this show today, but on the Place TV Nation, um, on some of the other podcasts. There's been dedications. Uh, there was a ceremony in New Jersey with his coworkers, and uh, you know a eulogy said there. And there was whatever it was I said on the Place to Be Nation show, and I feel the same way today. That when you just try to do this and you start talking, I black I black out. I don't know what I said. So don't hold me to all of it. I just know I love this kid, you know. I just know that I just know that I'm so grateful that from 2017 to 2021 our lives passed. And I miss you. I love you, Cal.
right.